Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. We're the Mystic Order of East Alabama fiction writers, and I'm Mystic Gail. I'm Mystic Marion, and I'm the Mystic Dog Whisperer. I'm Mystic Joanne, and I'm the Defender Mystic. And I'm Mystic Margie. I'm the Illuminator Mystic. We're glad you've joined us today, and if you, uh, this is our podcast number four. And if you listen to podcast number three, we were talking about fiction, and we forgot to talk about everything we really wanted to talk about, which is nonfiction that seems like fiction. Some people call it truth is stranger than fiction. And Joanne was just telling me that she had some ideas about this, and I'm turning it over to Joanne to give us these ideas. Well, anytime you deal with people, you find out a lot of strange things. Um, the, the idea, that, the thing that comes immediately to mind is I did an appeal for a lady who murdered her husband. What happened was that she um, and he were in the process of divorcing and as most divorcing couples do, they were fighting and feuding about it all. And he had her name tattooed clear across his back so he didn't wear a shirt to court he did well this is you know you learn things as you talk to people and this was an appeal so i had a full transcript with everything that was said in court and actually i believe the tattoo artist came and testified and what he said was that she came in quite angry as he was trying to eliminate this tattoo well the only way a tattoo artist can eliminate a tattoo is to tattoo over it and what he was tattooing over it was the name the Grim Reaper. So, as it turned, <laughs> the Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper is what he his was wife was. The Grim Reaper. Well, it turned out that she was. They were chasing each other. He on a motorcycle, she in a car, and he lost control, went off the road. She was immediately behind him, and ran over him. Uh oh! And this is why the courts got involved. And this is exactly why the courts Who got involved. Who won? Um, obviously, I was doing her appeal, so she did not win. <laughs> she was found guilty of murder. Well, that is pretty fiction. Truth is stranger than fiction. I know some tattoo stories. All right. I figured you might. <laughs> yep. Um, do you have a tattoo? I do not have a tattoo. Uh, Margie, do you have a tattoo? No, I do not have a tattoo. Joanne? I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may tend to incriminate me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a tattoo, and I'm proud of it. Well, I had a fella that I let plant a garden in the back of my yard a few years ago in exchange for some of the vegetables. And um, <laughs> he had USA tattooed on his arm. And I said, huh, like a tattoo. And it turns out, his ex-girlfriend's name was Lisa. And when they broke up, he had the L and the I joined together to create USA. If only that, that poor gentleman had something so simple. Well, I think her name was Eleanor. Oh, no. Well, you know Johnny Depp had... Winona Ryder's name changed to Wino forever when they broke up. So it kind of brought that story to mind, but the Grim Reapers were difficult. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, my um, truth is stranger than fiction. Actually, our second part of our show is going to be about poetry, and it should be a gentler, kinder show, kinder show than this one. But uh, my story, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction, happened at the 1969 Atlanta Pop Festival. And uh, strangely enough, Margie's husband attended this. And all the Auburn people had one great big huge tent, so I saw him on occasion, but not during this Stranger Than Fiction happening. But I had this friend named Jan, and uh, Jan and I had the same birthday. And we were sitting among 150,000 people listening to Johnny Winter. 
And I decided I want to go back to the tent because I was hungry. And so I said to Jan, when I come back, I'll get close to this light pole and I'll call your name and you light your lighter and then I'll walk to you and I'll, I'll, that's how I'll find you. But I stayed longer than I thought at the tent because they were actually cooking real food instead of just tofu nonsense. I decided to go back and sit with Jan and I found the light pole and I, in fact, I hear that light pole. And um, I found the light pole, and I said over the beat of this loud, loud music, Chan! And her lighter came on, and it was like three light poles away, literally a football field away. And when I got there, she said, why did it take you so long to get here? And I said, you were so far away. And she said, well, I heard you clearly. Oh, wow. Isn't that strange? Yes. I attuned to her ear. Well, another criminal story. Um, Last year, there was a man who broke into a house. He scrambled himself some eggs. He took a bath. He washed his clothes and was waiting for them to dry when the lady of the house came home. (laughs) (laughs) He should have put it on a hot cycle. (laughs) Well, exactly. And she she was very frightened at first, but he wasn't violent, and he didn't try to harm her, but she did have to call the police and have him removed and tell him that, you know, that he did not need to use her washer and dryer. She didn't let his clothes dry? Well, I think she did because it took the police a while to get there. But she did tell him where the laundromat was down the the road. Was he arrested? Yes, he was arrested. Burglary. That's called burglary. Using someone's washing machine is burglary. It's not just breaking and entering? Well, we don't have just breaking and entering. Breaking and entering technically is burglary. It's either trespass if you go in without the intent to commit a crime, and it is burglary if you go in with the intent to commit a crime. So why was it a trespass? Why wasn't it trespass? Mm-hmm. Because he ate her eggs. <laughs> he used her bathtub. Well, that'll teach him. Well, now, you know, we well using someone's bathtub is not stealing. We I've have... used many people's bathtub, and I'm not a thief. But with permission. Yes, with have, and you've eaten other people's eggs with permission. Well, okay then. We went to Ufala one day, and when we came home, Mama never allowed even one glass to be left on the counter or in the sink. We came home and there was a plate and a glass on the counter, and the mayonnaise jar was out. And maybe it's the same man. He had lunch we knew at your something house. Something was wrong here, so we go on in the house and. She always left the shower curtain pulled all the way across so that it wouldn't mildew. The shower curtain was pushed back and the tub was wet. So we kept walking through the house. It was Goldilocks. We found a neighbor asleep on the white living room sofa that I was not allowed to sit on. But she had bathed. She had bathed in our tub and eaten our mayonnaise. So she was clean enough to sit on the she, white and sofa. And she was also clean enough to go straight to jail because my <laughs> mother did not find anything humorous whatsoever about this story. Was this a special person? Just a neighbor. Just a neighbor. All of, a lot of our neighbors were very special, and this was one of them, but not special enough. Because <laughs> how many... How many years do you have to serve for eating a mayonnaise sandwich at your I house? I hope to God not even a day. If it is actual burglary, it is 2 to 20. But she didn't... But wh- can the judge say because it was only mayonnaise and not ham, I'm just giving you one year? Well, I remember her back. You know, I don't think she stayed very long. I think Mama did it to scare her and teach her a lesson about coming in our house when we weren't at home. I see. Which is the point, Gail. If somebody came in ate your mayonnaise, <coughs> used your tub and your washer and dryer, I don't think you would be amused well, either. for one thing, I use Miracle Whip, not mayonnaise. All right, your Miracle Whip, your tub, your washer dryer. Well, this was Hellman's. It was Hellman's? <laughs> oh, the my good God. stuff, yes. Well, so, of course, your mom was mad. How, what did she say exactly? You know, I was so little that I don't remember what she said. Did she said. say Marion? Man. Marion. Man. Oh, I see. Well, <clears throat> I have only- a story. Oh, Margie. Well, I was going to tell the story that's called A Three Declan Dave, which was a true story, but I think I'll save that one. The one that I have that's um, 
probably stranger than fiction is how I got in grad school. It's not that long. I had been working in advertising and decided that I wanted to become an artist. And so I went to Los Angeles and there I discovered that I couldn't become an artist in Los Angeles. So I went because I didn't know anybody. So I went back to um, Atlanta and decided I would take some classes at Georgia State University. Um, and that would um, let me get back in with some painters and learn how to paint. So I went and I said, um, I'd like to take a painting class. And they said, well, we see you have an undergraduate degree. Why don't you get in grad school? And I said, okay, I'll go to grad school. And they said, well, you have to bring a portfolio and you have to apply and let's see if you get in. So I got together some stuff and it was pretty bad and I brought it in and there was um, a professor named uh, Jim Sitton there and his last name was Sitton. He was, he was sitting, but his name was Sitton. And he... Um, Sitton he, was Sitton, huh? Sitton was Sitton. And <laughs> he was a very exacting, um, kind of a feat uh, man. And he started looking at my stuff it, very disapprovingly and kind of making faces and holding it up to his eyes very closely and kind of looking all around. And then he came to my application and he scrolled down and he went like is this your birthday? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, is this really your birthday? And I said, yeah, it's really my birthday, March the 30th. And he said, do you know whose birthday this is? And I said, yeah, it's Vincent Van Gogh's birthday. I know that. And he said, that's true. It was also Francisco Goya's birthday. And it was also my major professor at the University of Georgia's birthday. And it's also my birthday. So you're in. Wow. <laughs> and so how I got in grad school is because I had a good birthday. Well, that's totally cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's stranger than fiction, but it's true. That's good. Well, my other stranger than fiction story is, um, of course, a Catholic story. Joanne always enjoys my Catholic stories. I can't believe how many Catholic stories you non-Catholics I just tell. Like, I like <laughs> church, Catholic churches, and I'm particularly fond of flying buttresses. Ah. So um, anyway, and and my cousin, so. when I first went to Auburn, uh, when you signed up at the beginning of the quarter, you had to write your church preference. And he always wrote cathedrals with flying buttresses as his church preference. <laughs> and so I decided to write red brick as mine. And so uh, everybody was amused by his, and they thought mine was sassy. So, so I guess a cathedral is better than a red brick church. But anyway, this is a church story. And it's when I was visiting Carmel, and my uh, friend had gone to elementary school in a mission where Juanipero Sierra, Sierra was buried, and they had this statue, this bronze uh, uh, statue of him, and she had taken us all around the church and the schoolyard and so forth, the chapel, mission really, and she had been explaining so much that everyone thought she was the tour guide, so people fell in with us, and so there were like 12 people following my friend around as she talked about the church. So we get to Juanipero Sierra, who's all laid out beautifully, and at the bottom of his feet was a woolly animal. and A live woolly animal? No, in bronze. Okay. And Sandra, my friend, who um, had heard these stories in elementary school, and this was his dog, she said, who even after he died, uh, and the dog died, you could hear the dog howling through the halls for his master. Oh. Well, I walked around the statue, and so did Sandra's sister, and it said, the animal at father's feet represents the California bear. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I knew that all the other ten people were going to think she was an idiot. So I leaned up on California, and her sister leaned up on bear, and so we're just leaning on father's bear. <laughs> <laughs> while they walked around looking at it. <laughs> so we saved our tour guide in this way. <laughs> it was kind. <laughs> Thank you. 
He had a hard time becoming a saint. Uh, he made it to glorification or whatever it is. Beatification. Uh, beatification. Yes. There's three stages. What are they? Sainthood is the last. The saint is the last. Beatification is the, um, yeah, blessed. No, there's, there's, only there's three stages, but... but uh, wannabe? Wannabe. Wannabe. Beatification. Seems like one would be purification. Is that No, one? it's wannabe. <laughs> wannabe, beatification, and saint. So uh, Proof of miracles. Oh, Course in Miracles. So when they built all these missions, they um, used our Native Americans as slaves. So once the Pope found that out, it was hard to make Juanupria Sierra into a saint. But he managed to make it through perseverance. So, Joanne, you have any more stories there? Well, just some other oddities about um, our great state of Alabama, such as the Big Bigfoot has been spotted in Conecuh County. Uh, in the Pine Orchard community up there. and Where is that exactly? Uh, wherever Conecuh County is. Is that north of here? North of here? I don't know. It's in lower Alabama. So I it see. is not north of here. It's south of here. Um, but they have a huge tree that has claw marks across it. And several of the Pine Orchard uh, community people have seen him walking across the road. And, I, I can believe this totally. And late at night hear loud, unexplainable growling and yelling that they attribute to Bigfoot. And the Gulf Coast Bigfoot Research Organization has investigated and found that the claw marks are too big for a normal man to make and that no, there are no other native animals that would make such marks. So... That's just proof positive well, right there. Well, I totally agree. And what I would like to say about that is my son, who uh, has his own podcast in Hollywood called The Goods from the Woods, um, he's ridiculed me for many years because I saw Bigfoot. When did you see Bigfoot? I saw Bigfoot on the way driving to Realtown, Alabama, where I used to teach. And the first day I went there, I went a half an hour early because I wanted to see the town. And I had 27 minutes left over to do nothing because there wasn't much of a town to see. But every morning I'd drive out there, and especially as it was turning chilly, there'd be fog coming up off the lakes. It was quite a beautiful drive. But one morning, down the only place you could pass the bus and the cows and the cotton trucks, the only straightaway in front of me walked Bigfoot out actually walked across a railroad track, across the highway, and back into the woods. And so I came home and told um, my faithful husband, Bobby, and his Indian companion, my son, Rivers, about Bigfoot. And so they ridiculed me for years. Well, when we all went to the Yukon for the um, comedy festival, Rivers did a podcast, and I got to be on it because the podcast was about Cretans, no, not Cretans. Let's see. Anyway, the Bigfoot equal, equals in Canada. So I, cryptids, cryptids, not Cretans, cryptids. And I, I <laughs> you're the Cretans. <laughs> Bigfoots are not stupid. <laughs> no, no. And uh, so I got to be on the podcast because I had actually seen Bigfoot. Well, here in Alabama, the traditional name for Bigfoot is that old white thing. Old white thing. Old white thing. I like that. Old white thing. Not all. Old. Old white thing. Old white thing. Old white thing. What <laughs> you said? All white thing. So albino. Our bigfoot albino. is even white. <laughs> well, it's in the south. Huh. <laughs> now, when we were in Oregon and Seattle, they are wild for Bigfoot. They have Bigfoot hunts. They have Bigfoot parties. They People just are wild for Bigfoot. There was Bigfoot everywhere. I think they reproduce out there. Uh, that's possibly. Maybe they vacation there. We enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, what did they used to say on X-Files? The truth is out there. Yes, the truth is out there. The truth is out and, there. And, you know, if we can, if we can discover different species of things every year why what's what's to say that there is not they 
have discovered different species of fish, different species of animal, especially in South America or very wooded areas. Why can't we have a Bigfoot out there? And it's smaller. I think they're afraid that it's going to prove evolution. <laughs> well, I, I just I, I, I just did 23andMe, and I found out that I am a good percentage Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. And, and we think maybe Bigfoot is too. You may have people in common. Uh, no, wait. Start over. <laughs> that's where the white streak comes from. It must be. 23andMe, that's where you do your DNA with a Q-tip yes, and yeah, send it well, in. Well, you actually spit into yeah, this thing. You spit. And you can't drink anything half an hour before and it's really hard to fill that thing up with spit but I managed to do it and I sent it off and I found out <clears throat> excuse me uh, I'm um, mostly like British Irish Northern European but with some little weird things thrown in like Nigerian and um, maybe uh, Nigerian yeah some fascinating Nigerian. yeah I guess it's like you know a little Adam and Eve you know stuff yeah. From Africa that everybody has. <laughs> um, anyway, um, they Adam do. Adam and Eve were not from Africa. Oh, yes, they were. Oh, well. Does it say it in the Bible in, in red? <laughs> no. They were They're, from the, um, the, the area between the. Mesopotamia? Yes. The Mesopotamian rivers. The, the, and I wanted to say the Ganges, but not that far. This is, <laughs> this is fiction, but go ahead. Well, anyway, it's okay. Uh, but they do rate your amount of Iraq. Yeah, Iraq. Uh, it's where the Tigris-Euphrates may be the original Garden of Eden. The Tigris, so they thank you. Yes. Yeah, the um, Mesopotamia. Um, but um, anyway, uh, Neanderthal, though, we all have some in us, whether we know it or not. Oh, well, wait till you do your 23 and me. <laughs> I'm not sure I can spit that much. <laughs> anyway, it was interesting. I have, well, what it said was, I have 60% more Neanderthal than most people. Oh, really? Yeah. How does, well, what country is that? <laughs> well, and that's what I would wonder. Why well, they were all be- over, you know, <laughs> England. <laughs> you would go England. No, no they were they, they were side by side with the Homo sapiens supposedly. I so think you're they not were, really a Homo sapien. Well, they I, I've got some of that in me too. They did mix. They found out. Yes, oh, yeah. I heard the, that. The too. clan bear. The the what? Uh, the something of yeah. Clan in all bear. likelihood, human. All humans contain some Neanderthal. Yeah. I and do not. And like, it's likely that Homo sapiens killed off. The Neanderthal. The, what is that? What is that? Genocide. What? No. That's no. <laughs> called genocide. <laughs> of course, the attorney brings up genocide. But uh, no, what is it? The clan of cave bear. This is right. Oh, yes. Right. Right. Um, but no, I can assure you, I have no Neanderthal in my. Oh, uh, Gail, Gail, Gail. Okay. So many things are swimming around my head during this conversation. <laughs> For starters, well, UFOs. Oh, that's right. Because we had a neighbor, Studrell, who... What was his name? Studrell. Studrell? And, and Studrell's family lived at the dairy and helped helped the owner of the dairy run the How dairy. How do you spell Studrell? S-T-U-D-R-E-L-L. And How do you know how to spell Studrell? Because he was... Oh, okay. But Studrell used to see UFOs over the dairy... Of course. <laughs> and that course. was what inspired my hand-tinted photo of those cows. I took the black and white photo and then hand-tinted the cows purple and blue and green and put gold halos with a gold writing pen on I all of them. I haven't seen that. And stuck gold stars all in the sky. I have your with, photo of Jesus in the window. Uh, may I break in here and say all of us do some kind of art. And at our first reading, was it, yeah. that we mm-hmm. sold Second our book one. out? We did it in a gallery with our art all around us. And yeah, that was good. It was standing room only. Yes, it was. It was. Well, it, it literally, and that's a word I don't use lightly. Was literally, sta- you don't use lightly? No, I don't. <laughs> because it literally was standing room only. Yes, it was. Standing room only and out the door. And out the, the door. Hallway. And, you know, we were so lucky twice uh, for... That the Auburn Arts Association sponsored our readings. We're thankful to them for supporting us. And also, we've read some fine organizations like the Rotary Club. Yes, we have. 
The last time we read to the Rotary Club, I thought I would cheer them up because it was lunch and they were all working fellas or had been. And so because we were named the Mystics and I think they were a little suspicious of us, I said that I thought there was a little mystic in all of us and they were to try to levitate the man in the next chair. <laughs> so that did not go over well. They well, were not amused. Let's not forget the, the, the women's club rating oh, that we did. Oh, the one where Ms. Jockish told us to hush? She said... It was a garden club. Oh, it was a garden club. It wasn't the women's club that... We have done the women's club, Yes, though. we went to the ultimate garden club, the one that everyone wants to be in, but you have to be at least 85 and have a lot of money. And a yard man. And a yard man. So you don't really garden, you just talk about it. But... Uh, Mrs. Jockish came in, and she had on a beautiful mink coat and a Evan Bacone suit, and she sat down right next to me on the piano stool. So we could, she could hear. So she could hear. And they were going to serve wine immediately following our little uh, reading. And we always keep our readings to what? Is it five minutes of Mystic? Five minutes each, so yes. it's 30 minutes. And there would have been less then because the Mystics at work couldn't come. There were four or five of us. And so we're reading away, and we get almost to the last mystic, and um, Miss Jockish goes, that's about enough. I've heard enough now. I've heard enough. <laughs> Y'all can sit down. You can stop now. <laughs> well, the And the rest of the Garden Club was so embarrassed. Remember, they bought all our books? They yes. That we, yeah, she was a plant. I, I made Miss Jockish do that. No. We, um, the infamous... Rotary Club meeting though was when oh my gosh I don't think Judy yes we have to say we have to say I will be I will be genteel Um, but Judy when has that happened hush hush now hush I've heard enough Um, Judy had a wonderful story about how her sister got along with her mom better than she did and so one of the issues was her sister had skipped prom and gone over from Mississippi into Louisiana. And no, been, it was to Phoenix City. Was it Phoenix City? It I thought Sin it was City. that way. It was and, to Phoenix City, the Sin City. Well, it doesn't matter where they went, but she went to see a stripper. And Judy was talking about this stripper. To the Rotary Club. To the Rotary Club. It was in her story. And had a Tootsie Pop. And she it was, was a blow pop. <laughs> it was. Let's see, Pop. I'm trying to be genteel about it. Well, you're telling the story, which I suggested we save till our audience knew us better. Well, and I'm being genteel about this. And as Judy used that Tootsie Pop, perhaps in the way that the stripper might have used it, um, as, the, a the, as a prop, as a the whole audience, the whole audience was Started captivated. Sweating. It was captivated. And let's, Judy got two proposals. Let's bring that word titillating back in. <laughs> People kept all the Rotarians kept asking her out. And since she was available, why not? And again, we sold a lot of books. We did sell a lot of books that day. <laughs> yes, you thank you, Judy. You were going to tell us at one podcast how many readings we've done. Did you actually count them? I did not count all of them. But we had done readings at Jan Dempsey, as we said, where we That's sold the art out. Center in Auburn. Yes, and it's we, also named after Jan Dempsey, our former mayor. Mayor, absolutely. Who was mayor for a long time, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, and then we were in the Auburn University Library basement, and I can't remember how we got in that, but we had to find they our way down. Us. Yes, well, but I mean, how we, who invited us? And then we did the newsroom that was a, a local bookstore down on... And like all bookstores of today, sadly, it is gone. It closed, but we did it again when the bookstore moved to Opelika. So it was in Auburn, we did a reading at the newsroom, and then when she moved to Opelika, we did another reading at the newsroom. Um, and then we did a reading at a log cabin, and we all bought Winn-Dixie fried chicken for the... For the Dinner on the grounds after the reading. That beautiful log cabin dog trot house with those fantastic gardens all around it. I know it. And then still, it's still owned by, in the same family. Right, it is. And there's every kind of what? Gardenia or camellia, camellia. Uh, Camellia, azalea, um, in in Lochapoca. And there's my favorite 
sweet shrub, the kind that really oh, yes. smells. Oh, yeah. It's good. It smells and we good. had our picture taken there in the poppy field. That's right. And also against that cute little we car. We should have had our picture taken in the opium bed that our mystic Marion just told us about <laughs> recently. <laughs> little did I well, know Well, we know that bed's in storage, and I have really tried to get it into storage at my house, but so far it hasn't worked. You and Marie, was it condoing? You don't need a, not yet anyway. You have a couple of other things to get rid of. And we had a reading at the Blue Shoe which was a shoe store of and all odd things. Whose idea was it to wear blue shoes? Yours. And how did that work out, ladies? Well, it worked out well until Judy couldn't put, couldn't wear her blue shoes, so she carried she them there. She had bought them at Goodwill because she didn't own a pair of blue ah. shoes. And they didn't quite fit, and she was uncomfortable, so she just carried them in her hand. And Mary had had dental work that day and was on painkillers. Pain oh, it was the back thing. Or was it her back? Yeah, so yeah. I went up to speak, and Mary <laughs> comes up and stands beside me like, <laughs> I don't know what. Like a, a good child. <laughs> I have a bodyguard for my reading today, I she was She was next. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, Mary... Can I help you? And she goes, I'm next. <laughs> and just so you know how dedicated Mary is to her art, she threw out her shoulder, it was her shoulder and her back, doing NaNoWriMo, which is the National Novel Writing Month. And she wrote religiously, and we're back to religion, religiously every day. And that's how she messed up her back. You have to write a novel in a month, right? Yes. Five, Did you 50, do that? 50,000. I have done that, but I have never finished it's a novel. novel. Oh, well, hey, are you? Uh, let me ask the other mystics. Marion, are you surprised? <laughs> now, now, Gail, I, I be kind. Be kind. I'm the kind mystic. Remember? Well, that's that's right. Right. Oh yeah, kind. you became the kind I mystic. You, I thought you were the podcasts. quiet mystic. Judy's the quiet mystic. <laughs> oh, I see. She's huh? very quiet lately. I know. But anyway, yes, well, I'm not as dedicated as Mary, I, though. I, I'd like to insert one thing. Okay. After one reading, and I think it was at that women's club, I had been reading, and I, to describe myself, I have a, a white hair in the front of my head, and then I have dark hair the rest of my head. Is that natural, Margie? Uh, well, it was once. The, but, white, the white hair is The natural. white is now natural, <laughs> the, the brown color I color, but um, my, my color is Charlene does. But um, anyway, after the reading, I went up and I was talking to one of the older ladies, and she went, oh, thank God. And I said, what? And she said, I thought you had a big bandage on your head. <laughs> need to talk to Charlene that about her color. That woman should admitted to the women's club. You have to, the women's club has standards. Uh, anyway, she saw it was my hair and not a bandage. But <laughs> well, from and a that distance, was a I, so if any of you are out around Auburn and you see somebody that looks like they have a bandage on their head. It's you. It's me. You found so, me. Say hello. <laughs> well, we uh, are supposed to have poetry night tonight and we've avoided it. Um, but here we are to that portion of the of the show. So um, all of us who I cannot really remember. I write poetry for the book. Judy's written two poems in our books. Um, have you written a poem for the book, Joanne? I have. It's a very trite poem, I think. But I have written one for the ploy of cooking. And then I took a poetry class with Ken Autry and wrote several poems, which I enjoy doing. I believe I put some poems in The Winch. In The Winch? Uh-huh. Oh, did you bring them to read? No, I brought something else, another poem to read, because right. I figured they were going to get The Winch. Oh, yeah. Well, we should remind them, even though it's not the end of the show, how one buys a copy of Mastering the Art of Winch Cooking, our newest book, The Ploy of Cooking, our great book. And our fiction book, and we've been talking about fiction on this podcast, called Be the Flame, Not the Moth. By the way, how did we get that name, Be the Flame, Not the Moth? Does anybody remember? I do. That's from your story. That's from your story about the guy that you fell head over heels with. And you have always told us that when... Um, when courting a young man, that you should, or an old man, or an old man, or an old man, or an that you should uh, be the flame, that you should be the thing that draws, not the moth. You should be, be the 
lovey, the not lovey. the lover. Love yes, the and lover. That, that makes a wonderful relationship. Uh, well, I remember it as um, in the early days when we were still dating. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> when we were still dating? Well, some of us. And they would complain bitterly about the person they were dating. I would say, be the flame, not the moth. I can't remember exactly which mystics. Y- you also told a married mystic that as well. Oh, did I? Uh-huh. Yeah, you did. Okay, well then. Not just the dating well, mystic, it's just good. but also the ma- one of the married mystics. Now we're also... <laughs> Also sure we're the flame. I don't even have to say it anymore. Well, we just, <laughs> I think true. right now we're also thankful for the bullets dodged. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, anyway, we're to the... We were going to say how you get our books, and you get them by going on Amazon. Or you can message us, not the, not the moth and the... Mastering the Art of Wench Cooking are on Amazon. And the ploy of cooking. And the ploy. Yes. Yeah. Are Did you... we double check that? I'm pretty sure the okay. ploy is on. When Not... was the last time no. we checked our Amazon page? Ooh, complete silence on the podcast. Well, maybe. Oh, no. Did you check, Rivers? What's on? I mean... Okay, not the moth and winch cooking are on Amazon. Oh. Mary, yeah, Mary has been so good to be our technical. Where is she? She is at the beach. <laughs> She's not that good then. Well, she is that good because none of us have done it, but Mary, for the most part, she had. And but when she got her job traveling so much, she did fall down on that. So. She's and our faithful secretary. She is our faithful secretary, and our faithful secretary, once she comes back from the beach and her retirement trip, will be back with us on a regular basis. We miss Mary. You do know that Mary didn't really retire. She's, She's got a new job. For to another job. I retired. I but still have a job. But she is retired. I mean, she is retiring, though, from She's, the state of She's Alabama. She's getting her retirement. In the eyes of the mm-hmm. state. Can you ever retire from the state of Alabama? No, you cannot. Not <laughs> I, long, I never worked for them, so not yes. Not as long as we continue <laughs> to vote the way we do. <laughs> okay. Well, here we are to poetry. And I because Judy's not here to defend herself... The two poems that I'm going to read one of the, uh, well, no, maybe I'll read them both, one, and then y'all can read one, but <clears throat> I actually like the one about her husband's glasses. I do, too. That's my favorite one of Judy's poems. She I wrote believe. this, I think, after her husband had uh, gone to the Great Divide, and it was a very touching poem called One Pair of Glasses. Without looking, you could pick them up by their legs from the table next to your place on the sofa. Walmart readers of a medium strength with black plastic rims, every man's glasses, made in China, and barely smudged. The morning you put them down, you said, I don't feel so good. I have many pairs in varying strengths and colors in almost every room of the house, under papers and books, next to the bed. But this morning I couldn't find any except yours. And when I finished reading, I put them back where I know I'll always find them, by your picture on the dresser. That's, that's very sweet. That's it very is. Beautiful. And Judy took the poetry class that I took through Ali, which is the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And How you, old do you have to be to take that class? You just have to be retired. I think, you, I think they like people 55 or older. I see. So, so um, I'll come later. Yeah, later, Gail. Um, but Judy took that class with me. It seems like Judy and I take a lot of classes together as far as writing and poetry. And Judy is a marvelous poet. Mm-hmm. She's very thoughtful. She is very provoking. She just has some wonderful ideas. Well, should I read her second one? I want to say something about the ploy before you read again, okay. though. Um, our our first cookbook, The Ploy of Cooking, is indeed on Amazon. But to find it, you have to search it under the title, The Ploy of Cooking, you not know, under the mystic order. Uh, that's strange because there are several ploys of cooking on Amazon. So look for the beautiful one. The, the With cover. the beautiful watercolor blue background and the... 
apron, Magpies, apron, yes, apron with the with, with the, the four and twenty blackbirds. Well, I on mean, it. maybe she, we'll put a picture of it on, on um, Twitter. What she yeah, find it? Will. Actually, there's a picture of it on our our, our names on the cover. Too. Oh yeah, our oh, names yeah. on the and cover. our names on the cover. The yeah. Mystic Order. It's it's in smaller print, but it's still but it's there. there. Yes, absolutely. It'll be the most beautiful ploy of cooking that you find. Probably the most beautiful book you've ever seen. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Margie. You're welcome. <laughs> Margie taught me um, watercolor. By yes, the way, we'll, we'll upon time. put a link on Twitter. All right. At Twitter. Mystics. Mystics. At the Mystics pod. pod. The, the Mystics, Mystics Pod. Pod on Twitter. Yes, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. We think we are anyway. <laughs> okay, if anyone has any poetry to read. When you were Margie read another some. Judy poem, and I... Oh, okay. And in fact, I will. It's very short. It's called Storms. When I was a child, I sat on brick steps waiting for coastal storms that never came. The picture went taped, the cat warm and dry inside. Now I sit in my framed house in the woods, feeling words rising, hurling like branches, leaving in their debris a splintered spirit. Another lovely poem. Thank you. It's Judy's. It is not right. Gail's. Well, I brought Stone River Sky Anthology of Georgia Poems, which was edited by our friend's Scott Wilkerson and Melissa Dixon. I believe somebody at one point was going to choose one of Melissa's poems to read tonight, but forgot to bring it. But um, I was honored to be included in this anthology. So would you like for me to read my poem, Herringbone and Iris? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. By the way, as an antique dealer, I see a lot of herringbone and iris. Well, actually, I learned the name of this pattern from you. It's my great-grandmother's powder box. Depression glass powder box. And that's china? It's depression glass. Ah. But she, it's very distinctive. It stayed on my grandmother's dresser, and she, every night when she, she had long white hair, if she didn't tamper with it, and when she would brush her hair, she would take the long white hair out of her comb and make a little ball of it and put it in this powder box. Oh, it wasn't a powder box. It well, was a hair was receiver. It, is it actually a hair it's box? It's a hair receiver. And it's, it looks like a powder box, but mm -hmm. it has a little... And the, the women would actually take their hair and make buns or uh, pieces to go under their hair to make them thicker. So Lift. that's what, what nice. the hair receiver's for. You know, I have several ponytails. You know how I let my hair grow for a couple of years and then have it all cut? Yeah. I used to send it to Locks of Love till I found out they charged for their wigs. You mm -hmm. tell me that. I save my ponytails I now. That's true. <laughs> I, I put them in that hair receiver. Because in my retirement, I plan to make morning jewelry out of my own hair. Yes. Well, what a great idea. But anyway, <laughs> Marion, you better explain what morning jewelry is. Well, morning jewelry, there are actually two types of morning jewelry. You can have jewelry just made of jet. This is, is like 19th... not the part of day that comes after dawn. No, no this mourning, I'm mourning the dead jewelry. And so some of it is made out of jet so that you have black jewelry to go with your mourning outfit. Ah. But other mourning jewelry is actually made from hair of the beloved. And just this past week, a lot of Charlotte Bronte's hair turned up on the road show. Did they oh test my. it through they're gonna 23 and me? They're going to test it and find out whether or not she's Cro-Magnum. But um, the, it was actually in a little encasement that had her death date and her initials engraved on it. And it was in some box in some attic in England that somebody was going through. So they are going to test it to be sure. But it was but, not... But. But but they don't have any samples of her DNA. I guess they have people distantly related. Right. Are they 23andMe uh, customers? I bet they'll step right up. <laughs> I had a case where they the father had died, and so they had to go to the grandparents to determine the paternity of the child. The man who was supposed to be, to be our, oh, yeah, the putative father had died, and so they had to go to the grandparents to determine the paternity of the we, child. They, um, they Mama. sell morning jewelry. They sell. They appraise morning jewelry on 
Antique Roadshow. Well, this is who discovered this. And the other kind of morning jewelry other than the jet is made from the hair of the beloved. And sometimes it's just like a braided ring or necklace or bracelet. But other times inside a locket or inside a piece of jewelry like Margie makes. Oh, yeah. A glass encasement. They'll use, they'll dissolve the hair and use it to paint a weeping willow or, or with a, crying mourners sitting under it tiny beautiful have Go you on. studied this at length i have books on this <laughs> i actually when i taught world literature we did a whole day on morning jewelry when we got to the 19th did century did you get tenure <laughs> i did not <laughs> but did you know you know they've made morning jewelry of the tumors oaks yes they most certainly haven't nobody <gasps> seems to think that's strange Yes, they, they <laughs> enclosed tree, yeah. uh, little bits of burnt toilet right. paper in. Well, under, under. since we're on this topic, I guess now, this... The people who are listening to us that are not from Auburn, Alabama will not get that No, they all. won't. They won't. They, but we oh, are the one... We are actually the only city government that has a budget for cleaning toilet paper off of trees. Yes. I know. But that's because... Um, after we win a game, everybody runs to Tumor's Corner, which is in the middle of downtown. The Auburn. intersection of College and Magnolia. Magnolia, and it's on. It's on a complete uh, video, whatever you call that. You know, you a can, live feed. A live feed. You can watch Tumor's Corner anytime, day or night. Tumor's is a drugstore downtown that's on a corner, and there was a beautiful oak caddy wampus from it. Caddy. Clockwise, <laughs> diagonally across diagonally the street. across the street from it, Caddy and, Corner, and that was the tree that would always be rolled if Auburn won a ball game. But then a um, demented, fan, a fan from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, poisoned it, and also poisoned the ground around it to poison it, so that it's been impossible almost to get a tree to grow there but and these oaks were only what 100 years 100, old 150 years old only 150 years old there used to be oaks down the median of the entire street so there was a canopy over all of those streets and it was quite beautiful but no one poisoned them the city of auburn took them down because they might fall and hit a child so. but since the tumor's oak has been poisoned um People have made a business of gold plating the acorns yes. to represent it, or the leaves to represent it, or and some and some very enterprising young man got the acorns themselves and sprouted them. So you have progeny of the yeah. tumors oaks. And in our museum, we have an enormous turned wooden bowl made from the old yes. oak tree. And if you it's, happen, and it's beautiful. If you happen not to live in Alabama, I know this must sound strange to you. And truth is stranger than fiction. But, That's but then the theme of this whole broadcast is that truth is stranger than fiction. All right, I only have one other question about the morning jewelry. Okay. How do, what do you dissolve it with? Margie, do you know? What do you dissolve it with to be able to paint I've never with heard it? that, Marion. It's true. You can find... Um, I'll, Hair dissolver. I'll find out. I'll find out for you. I'm sure it's some kind of acid or chemical that you dissolve it in. And they then, do morning. Um, there. They no. do morning no. um, cross stitch too. And do they do that samples, with hairs? You know, and you'll see willow trees and people mm -hmm. in black standing under it. Right. Those are very pricey. Right. Morning jewelry is very. Pricey. I mean, this is the same. This is the same century that took death after death photos, postmortem yes. photos, and that beautiful, beautiful book by I think Stanley Burns called *Sleep and Beauty*. Occasionally, come upon in my business a person uh, quite dead in a Jenny Lynn bed, which mm -hmm. is, and they're all dressed up in their suit, but dead, mm -hmm. and uh, the sheets beautiful and turned down, and. Um, I had this picture which no one bought, so I decided to give it to someone for their 40th birthday, and I wrote on the back, <laughs> better 40 than this, which I thought was pretty clever. Did the but, recipient? Well, as it seems, as it turns out, no one in the party thought it was funny. <laughs> but... 
I uh, I should have said if you don't really like this, I could replace it with Marianne some... Carcace would love to have it. <laughs> I knew that, but um... well, moving slightly away from morning jewelry, but not quite to herringbone and Irish yet. My friends Bob and Travis recently visited Twin Peaks. Where is Twin Peaks? It's in Washington, and Bob brought me back as a souvenir a necklace that's sort of like those Margie makes. It's one of those, what do you call that, Margie? It's, it's a... Cameo? It's a, you can put a thing in it and then put... It's under glass. It's under, under glass. glass. Yes. And it's the top, it's pieces, fragments of the top of Lucy from Twin Peaks' desk arranged in sort of a geometrical design. It's quite lovely. And that's sort of morning jewelry, too, because... Those of us who loved Twin Peaks will forever mourn its passing. There we go. <laughs> I actually have never seen Twin Peaks. The first season was my favorite, one of my favorite things that's ever been on television. Well, mm. let's move on to my poem, Herringbone and Iris, since we said we were going to talk about poetry. Between the blue Nivea tin and the silver crucifix, an amber glass powder box kept Eugenia's white hair. Every night she removed tortoise combs to brush it a hundred strokes and placed those strands that floated loose inside iris and herringbone. One day when I was ten, she brewed a cup of red diamond tea so strong it was almost black, hung her head over the sink, and anointed herself a red head again at 89. I used to throw my hair to the birds. Aunt Shaby saved hers so enemies couldn't work a hex. I never asked Eugenia why. Tonight I wish I had her long-lost hair, that still tangible part of her. Delicate iris, sturdy herringbone, the powder box sits on my dresser now, seems to draw moonbeams on this southern summer night and holds my hair, thick and brown with highlights as red as Georgia clay, a gift from Eugenia. Oh, I nice. love that poem. Very Thank sweet. You. And that's in one of our books? That's in Stone River Sky. Oh, I was going to say, I've, I've read our books. You know, I did reread today <laughs> uh, my part of, of um, Be the Flame, Not the Moth. And I quite like that book. And I hadn't read it, what, in eight years, ten years? When did we write that book? Oh, gosh. Fifteen years ago. I mean, most of it was written fifteen years ago. But when did yeah. we publish and it? We, when, did it, when was it? When did it come out? Nineteen forty-six. No, that's the PO box. Wait a minute. <laughs> Two thousand eleven. Two thousand. Well, that wasn't that okay. long Not ago. Eight that years. Long. That's what I said. I hadn't read it yeah. in eight years, and I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I have a story in there. Of course, we're supposed to be talking about poetry, and I have some poetry in there. But um, about I have a story in there about. Um, sitting on the Okoe on a, on a, in a person's patio and we're waiting for 3 o'clock because at 3 o'clock the Tennessee Valley Authority turns the water off and this is when we have our toddy and all the drunk people that are tubing down the river do not know this, that they're going to have to walk <laughs> the Stony River <laughs> to where they parked and they're pissed <laughs> more ways than one and it's kind of fun to sit there and watch it and that's what my story is about in our first book well I our have deluxe some, edition i have some poems oh read from read. i well for mastering the art of winch cooking i wrote my one story about the deranged eggs which i talked about last time or one of our podcasts but then i decided all i could write was haikus and I'm not really good at writing haikus, but I'm going to read you a few. And so when I was writing them, I kept thinking of how they could be better. And um, the haikus, as I understand them, are written in five syllables, seven syllables, and then five syllables. And then I guess you could put them together or whatever. But my first one are haikus for animals. What do you mean you could put them together? No, it has to be that... Well, them. I know, but I did several on one page. Oh, I, I see. Yeah, I, well, and I was thinking you could almost make them verses, I suppose. I just made them, you know, try to improve. So the first three I wrote were all dedicated to my husband's Aunt Louise, who lived into her late 90s. She was a vegetarian, but she never ate a vegetable. 
Uh, she just didn't eat meat. Um, so, um, what does here, that leave? Cheese. Uh, she ate mainly Fig Newtons and um, <laughs> Coca-Cola. Uh, <laughs> And that's a vegetarian? Uh, well, damn, I'm a vegetarian. She, she didn't eat vegetables, I'm telling you. Okay, so here are haikus. A vegetarian who never ate a vegetable. Aunt Lou via haiku. <laughs> uh, number two. A vegetarian. No meat or veggies either. Fig Newtons, her diet. <laughs> and the third one. Diet of Aunt Louise. Vegetarian sans vegetables, fig newtons for her. I see. And my recipe is Aunt Louise gets creative, and it's fig newtons with Granny Smith apples and Gouda cheese. That's an excellent recipe. I, which was I what feel- Margie brought to the book opening, I believe. We have. Oh yeah, we cooked for the book opening. We brought our uh, recipes. I, um, I'm quite certain now. Everyone's going to run out and get this book to read your. Your portrait, well, I have, and I and I and I won't read any more if you don't want me to. Well, <laughs> you, you need to leave them something to look forward That's to. Right. I, know. That's I do, right. I do. So I'll I I will quit. Can I read the one to my grandson? Yes, yeah. Please. So Ben's okay. song, this sweet is Ben's my song, grandson whose name is Ben Song. Um, who is that's an unusual name yes he's half Chinese his mother's Chinese but we won't speak of her Can now we, I have to, <laughs> and I have to coo over Ben Song just a minute when he was little he would come to some of our meetings and he looked just like baby Buddha <laughs> he was so cute and he's still very cute and he's five years old now but um, he does um, he, he, he's the good eater so watching my grandson eating a tomato like an apple such pleasure, pure joy. Ah, sweet. Well, um, I would like to read my room with a view because uh, our, I think it was our first podcast, we talked about Jordan and the runes. And uh, what did we say about the runes once I had one and he... Half, H- half a bag of runes. Half, half a bag, a bag of, runes. of runes. Okay. Well, I wrote a poem about Jordan, and this is kind of a Harold and Maude relationship because I'm exactly 50 years older than Jordan, but uh, it's called Rune with a View. My new friend is 50 years my junior. Over coffee, he gave me a rune, part of a set of polished river rock, cast for intuiting one's future. My rune was a marked for justice. He says, and he says it's marked for justice and the sign for life cycles. I press my fingers to the water smooth stone in my safekeeping to be returned to him in May. He will need it for a complete set and for deciding the other's prospects. I'm charmed at the thought of his life, still years to play out. No need to cast the stones for me. I already know who I did marry. I'm long acquainted with my children. I've accomplished my occupation, and my life series are truly numbered. Still, I'm pleased to have justice at my fingertips and a friend to trust me with his treasures. Very nice. Jordan was a honey and a very good writer. Do you know how Harold and Maude ends? Uh, (laughs) uh, No, but I have a favorite scene from Harold and Maude. It's when they're sitting beside a lake on their... Uh, on a beautiful bench looking at the lake and he gives her a diamond ring engagement ring and she looks at it and takes it and throws it in the lake and Harold looks a bit surprised and she goes now I'll always know where it is (laughs) (laughs) do you know the guy that uh, did that movie also did Green Beret Hal Ashby was the person. It's just come to me in a dream ah. that, that um, he did Green Beret and Harold and Maude. And Harold, if you, listening audience, if you haven't seen Harold and Maude, please do. It will make your week. But excuse me, Joanne. Go ahead. All right. This is called a page a day. And as when I walk, worked, it was very difficult for me to get to writing when I worked full time. As and as if I, if, if I had something to write, it was never edited, and that will be a pod for another day. 
but this is one page a day, one page a day. I heard the man at the seminar say is all it takes to complete your book. Write in the morning, edit at night. Soon the epilogue will be in sight and readers and critics will take a look. One page a day, that's simple as pie. And I'll start right now as soon as I wake up my son and get him dressed, make the coffee and talk to my spouse, take a shower and clean the house, walk the dog, clean off my desk, run an errand, call my sister, then call her again because I missed her, get dressed, go to work, meet a deadline, mend a shirt, get the groceries, walk a trail, cook dinner, check email. One page a day should be a cinch. I wonder if Picasso painted by the inch. (laughs) Yeah, that does sound just exactly like my life, too. <laughs> does anyone want to mention their favorite poet? I, I, I have three poems. I won't read them, but I'll tell you the three, top three, and of course I have many more. The first was The Garden of Love by William Blake. You know, contrasting to these writers is really, that's why I'm not reading. The second one is The More Loving One by W.H. Auden, which is one of my faves. And then... Uh, Another absolute favorite was Six Significant Landscapes by Wallace Stevens. Wallace, see, I like I Placed a Jar in Tennessee by Wallace Stevens. I don't understand it completely, but I like the idea of putting a jar out in the wild kudzu and saying this tree is five feet from the jar. So, well, I used to give my um, drawing classes because I taught art for years. Um, the six significant landscapes to do um, artwork from because there's such really, really strong images. And the one image where he's really thinking he's so, he's so wonderful and how he's on top of everything and how he's bigger than everything and then he looks down at his shadow and ants are crawling through it. <laughs> Which, you know, just the gist of some of them. Um, I should read them, but I won't now, because I know we're running out of time. One of my favorite poems is uh, Jabberwock by Lewis Carroll. Oh, me too. Twas brillig and the slithy toe did gyre and gimble in the wave, all mimsy with the borrow groves. And the moth grown outgrown. My other uh, favorite is a frost poem called Mending Walls, and we were made to memorize this by our junior year English teacher, and I didn't appreciate it then, but now when I read Mending Walls, I truly love it because there's something there is that doesn't love a wall. And that's a lot of the American people. That's right. It brings the ground up under it and bursts its boulders in the sun. I'd like to say this, that you mentioned memorizing poetry. My second grade teacher, I think we also had talked about mentioning teachers that we particularly appreciated. My second grade teacher, Ms. Huffam, made us memorize poems probably every other week. And I think that that's one of the best things that ever happened to me other than phonics is that I was forced, although it wasn't unpleasant for me, I was forced to memorize poems and we would stand up and say the poem. And I believe that's perhaps one of the early things that made me love language as much as I did because we didn't learn silly poems. We learned real poems i mean they weren't they weren't as complicated as maybe what we might read now name one of them the house with nobody in it oh yeah you remember that each day when i walk to suffering along the erie track i go by broken old farmhouse with shutters remember that one i do remember it it. ends with you know a house that has done what a house should do a house that has sheltered life that it's put its loving wooden arms around a man and its wife you remember that i do remember it's the saddest sight you'll ever meet when it's left alone it's the sad oh it made a complete sentimental fool out of me over houses <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's a great mental exercise that children yeah. i don't think get nowadays right. the same it's it's like learning a language well when i taught it's like learning our language it's very much like learning a language when i taught i would often forget my textbook And thankfully, I had that skill of memorizing because I would get to class and wouldn't have the textbook. And I'd say, well, wait a minute. Let me see if I can remember it. And nine times out of ten, I could remember the poem I was teaching that day, you know, if it was one I really liked. What is the one by, I think it's Ezra Pound, where the the lover comes out to the wall too late. Oh, on the stilks. Yes. That's one of my favorite poems. Let me think of the name of it for just a second. Give me a minute. 
Well, we don't have a Mr. Jarecki and I used to read that to each other. That is such a beautiful it poem. It is. Um, we'll the, read it next podcast. Absolutely. The River Merchant's Wife. That's it. The River Merchant's Wife. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, when I wore my hair. It, it was Ezra Pound, wasn't it? Yeah. We should read a few more poems next podcast. We will. We, we will. Of others? Yes, of others. Yeah. I will be prepared. Well, in the meantime, before next time... Um, Marion, yes. can you tell us, tell our audience how they can find us? Well, you can find us on Facebook. And one way to do that is to go to facebook.com slash Order of East Alabama, or you could just go to Facebook and in the search box write in Mystic Order of East Alabama. You can find the show on Twitter at the Mystics Pod. That's Mystics plural. YouTube.com slash the mystics pod or drop us a line at the mystics pod at gmail.com our direct messages are open rate review and subscribe and remember be the flame not, not the, the moth, moth.